Well, hello, friends at St. Timothy's Anglican Bible Church. My name is Jonathan Kimure, and I am honored to open the Word with you this morning. And uh, as we go about to do that, we're continuing our series in Romans, and uh, we're going to look at uh, the second part of chapter 12. And um, I invite you to, you can turn to Romans 12, and as we begin, we'll pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on our time. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us wherever we are right now listening to this recording, that you are able uh, to do mighty works um, in and through us. And uh, Lord, I acknowledge that uh, your word is, is true, your word is everlasting, is unchanging, and uh, Lord, you uh, are speaking your word to us, and we ask, Lord, that you would also pour out your Holy Spirit upon us so that we can bear much fruit listening to your word today. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, so I just want to start with a, a bit of a story before we jump in. Some time ago, I met a young fellow at another uh, Anglican church uh, in, in the area, and, um, and he uh, became a, a Christian not long before I met him, probably a few months and uh, he was a young guy, you know, university uh, age, and uh, he shared with me his testimony, I asked uh, if he could share a little bit, so he did. And uh, he shared with me that uh, he had a bad breakup and that he wanted to, uh, that he was just looking for, for something steady in life. And he found the Christian faith and, um, and then he eventually gave his life to the Lord. And, and um, one of the things that really impressed him about the Christian faith was um, actually, the, the teaching on sexual ethics, uh, it was really appealing to him. And so, you know, it's, it's strange because we, we typically think, well, you know, our, our people in our culture, in our Canadian culture, will uh, disagree with us, definitely disagree with us uh, on, on sexual ethics. We, we, we might have some points of agreement with other things, but when it comes to sexual ethics, uh, there's, there's no points of agreement. But for him, that was the thing. And uh, I, I, found, I found that very interesting. And uh, from now on, his quest is to find out more about what is the Christian teaching. Like he's so hungry for the word and so hungry to know uh, more about uh, what it is to be a Christian. And uh, today, where the text that we're going to look at is going to explore, almost in point form, in bullet points, uh, Christian ethics. How to, how to um, live the Christian life. What are the marks of a true Christian? So I invite you again to turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to start at verse 9, where it says, Let love be genuine. Now we're going to stop there. We have to stop there. We have to stop there because uh, in this half verse, in these four words, let love be genuine, uh, we find probably the, the, the most um, resounding refrain in our culture right now. The quest for love, the quest for genuineness. Uh, people in our, in our culture, whether they're millennials or in the Generation Z, are, are looking to become uh, more genuine, and they, they, they're looking for genuine love. And there's, a very much of a, there's very much of a heightened awareness of the need for that. And, uh, and so why is that? Well, people crave security in knowing someone and being known as they truly are without fear of rejection. 
Now the thing is, uh, as much as this is a bu- these these words are buzzwords in our culture, you know, love and genuineness. Uh, as much as they are buzzwords, pursuing them the way our culture promotes them is actually like you know a dog chasing after his tail. Now what do I mean by that? You're probably curious what I mean by that. And I don't, I don't mean to offend you if that's that's where you find yourself. Uh, I don't mean to offend you, but um, you're probably wondering what do I mean by that. Well, I, I have a friend who who is in that uh, pursuit of of love and in pursuit of genuineness. And as I see him running after genuineness, um, I, I I don't see the consistency. I, I all I can see is that uh, he's trying to develop and become a very different person than wh- what and who he actually is. And so this it's not really genuine. And the more that he's pursuing genuineness, uh, he's actually becoming more self-obsessed. And that's just what we see in our culture, that people are becoming more and more self-obsessed. And then the question comes, how can you love when you're so self-obsessed? Right? Because if love, if the definition of love is the self-giving of yourself to another, How can you do that if you're so tied and caught up with your own project of becoming genuine? In other words, the way we typically seek to arrive at genuineness is deprived of love because it's so self-obsessed. And the way that we seek to find love is often disingenuous. You know, we we seek to find love with people and uh, and oftentimes that means romance and um, the way to get romance is to become someone else, is to put on a mask, is to impress the other person, is to do things that would make sure that you can still have the other person a few days from now or in a few weeks from now or in a few months from now. And so we become totally different people. Because otherwise, if we were found out, we might not uh, be loved. The love might not be reciprocated. And so again, the, the way we typically seek to arrive at genuineness is deprived of love and the way we seek to find love is often disingenuous. So how are we supposed to make sense of this saying from Romans in Canada in 2020? Let love be genuine. How do we make sense of that? Well, it's not immediately obvious in this section of Romans, but certainly if we read the letter from the beginning, you would see that the genuine love which this verse commands is rooted in the very nature and character of God. Not the God according to the Canadian imagination, but what I mean is the the triune God, the God revealed in the Bible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who from all eternity um, has shared love uh, from the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father, a full self-giving, a full self-interest in between those persons. And the Holy Spirit, who is the one who is love, the Bible tells us, and who communicates this love to the Father from the Son and to the Son from the Father. And so this this idea of genuine love is absolutely rooted in the triune God, in the Trinity, as revealed in the Bible. And uh, see, as Christians, when we read the words, let love be genuine, uh, we are not asked to put on something that we have not already been given abundantly. That's one of the mysteries of the gospel. That, uh, and by mystery, I don't mean something that, that's still unknown, but it's something that is so uh, almost unimaginable to the human mind. When you look at every other religion, every other philosophy, every other spirituality, what you see is 
be a good person or love or some type of ethic, do something, then you will be accepted. And once you're accepted, then you can have fellowship. So the, the order is do something so that you can be accepted and have fellowship or have union with the divine or the God or, or what have you. But the gospel reverses that completely. So that's why I say when we read the words like, let love be genuine, we are not asked to put on something that we have not already been given abundantly. What do I mean? Well, at the cross, at the cross is Jesus, uh, who is the Son of God from all eternity, coming down to humanity, taking upon our human nature, not despising the womb, but, but entering the, the womb as a zygote and then growing as a fetus and then being born and then living uh, in, in a small section of the world that, that had much political uh, turmoil and, and having to become uh, exiled and, and be an immigrant to, to, to Egypt and, and coming back and, and living a very uh, difficult upbringing in that sense and then uh, eventually you know, being the Messiah, um, being the one from, from uh, God who came to save humanity from their sins and to unite us back to God through his death on the cross. And his death is a substitution for us. Uh, Jesus lived a perfect life so that when he died, he did not deserve to die, but he took on the death that you and I deserved so that we could have his destiny, his blessing that he receives from God. So that in him, by faith in him, trusting in him, we will have and share in his uh, good destiny, his good end. And we uh, will not receive the, the wrath that we deserve, the, the justice that we deserve from God for having disobeyed him. So that's, that's really the nature of the gospel is God reaching down to us. God reaching down to us in the person of Jesus. And then we have fellowship with him. Jesus came to break bread with his disciples and, and, and drink the cup of blessing. Uh, and, uh, and he had fellowship with them. He sang with them. He prayed with them. He cried with them. And now, uh, when, when we receive the gospel, Jesus asks us to do things. So that, again, the order is completely reversed. And now, now that you and I, uh, I, I presume that probably most of you have received the gospel, have received this good news of Jesus, and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And now, you know, we learn to walk with Jesus. We learn to walk with Jesus. And, uh, and so here is what we see in verse uh, 9. It's uh, one, of the, one of the main commandments of the Bible, uh, which is love. Jesus said that the first and greatest commandment is to love God and to love our neighbors. And so here, uh, the Apostle Paul, who is an ambassador of Christ uh, to the church, uh, is saying, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Now, just, just one more note on, on this idea of being genuine. The biggest problem preventing us from becoming more genuine starts with the very fact that we are naturally hostile to God. In other words, we want to be God. So when we do receive the gospel and its implications, we begin to change and we become more genuine. At least that's the hope. And when we realize that, we, that when we humbly come to Jesus, he does not weigh our merits, but he pardons our offenses continually. 
There's never a time for a Christian when we go before Jesus and say, Jesus, look at what I've done. Look at the good things that I've done, because he will always be able to point out bad things that we've done. In, in fact, many more bad things than good things. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus does not weigh our merits, but he pardons our offenses. All our offenses were paid for by him at the cross, and we are forgiven when we trust in him. Now we are free to be genuine, not masking ourselves or cloaking our offenses to God, but letting God in and realizing that his word is the only final word over our lives. And when we are in Jesus, his final word for us will be well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, my child. Like, isn't that spectacular? Isn't that incredible that we can have that relationship with God? So again, when we read the words, let love be genuine, this is not a command that you add to your life, but a natural outflow of being connected to God through Jesus Christ and enabled by the Holy Spirit. If you read a little bit earlier in Romans chapter 5, we see that God pours out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so how do we as Christians living in Quebec in 2020 reflect the genuine love of God? Like, How do we progress in love in a way that is not cliche or fake, that isn't programmed or institutionalized, and that does not fall short like in our current culture? Well, let's, let's look again at verse 9. Let's look again and, uh, and see how Paul walks us through a list of boundary markers. We'll, we'll call it boundary markers to protect love from becoming disingenuous. So again, verse 9. Verse 9 reads, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Okay, so just pause here. We're just going to go one by one. Uh, and, and as we go one by one, we'll see how God's love nourishes Christians. So abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Um, so when we, we, when we are uh, walking with Jesus gripped by the gospel, we have a new arbiter for love. It's not me and my desires anymore. We have a new, new person who determines what is love. And love is not just an abstract concept that we sort of channel from somewhere out there like we might find in, in, in different religions and philosophies and worldviews, uh, but it is personal and perfectly presented to us when we look into the glory of the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a love that is uncorrupted and eternal. And so, so Jesus, when, when, we, when we trust in Jesus, he gives us new parameters for love. And as part of what the essence of love is, is that there is a moral framework, a moral grid. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So that's how we pursue love genuinely. And then the next thing is love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's in verse 10. And notice brotherly. That's, that's such an interesting word. You know, it's a word that we hear often in the church and we sort of gloss over. But when we become Christians, we inherit a new family, the church. And so we should love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. And uh, so how are we supposed to do that? Well, in the world... Uh, we develop feelers for compatibility and opportunity. Our friendships and our relationships are usually quite utilitarian. We, we just try to find friends to, 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 to make, uh, that are useful to us to advance in life. 
but not so with our family, isn't it? And in the church, we're a family. We make time for one another, we look out for each other's needs, we don't act like strangers. Now, I, I, I do understand that sometimes there are what the Bible calls wolves in sheep's clothing in the church, uh, which we need to test out before befriending. befriending. Um, but with, with those who are sheep, we should treat them as family. Uh, we should treat them as family. We should be suspicious around them or, or you know, trying to scope out how we can, how compatible we are. And, and sure, there are compatibilities and that's okay. That's a good thing. But uh, that shouldn't be what determines our, our friendship and our brotherly affection. Uh, this is important to protect genuine Christian love. <clears throat> and then thirdly, we see in verse 11, it says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And so we're given a new disposition. Too many Christians rely on their own strength and focus on all sorts of different things. One of the biggest killers of Christian zeal is, is distractions. Whether it's consumerism, cares of this world, entertainment, gluttony, we fill our time and give our lives to things that are not eternally significant. And our spiritual fire diminishes. And after pursuing that for a while, we wonder, what happened? What happened to me? I, I used to be zealous. I used to be fervent in spirit. What happened to me? And uh, I have to say, one of the biggest killers of Christian zeal is distractions. I remember a friend told me <clears throat> that uh, there's only one thing in this life that, uh, that is eternal, and that's people. And that really marked me, because I was just so amazed at how this guy was just, you know, didn't make a lot of money, but uh, used his car to the glory of God. He would give rides to people all the time. And uh, I was just kind of shocked that he, that he did that. I was just very thankful and I asked him and that's what he told me. And so it's important that we are uh, prayerfully discerning what our lives are about if we hope to protect genuine Christian love, both in terms of receiving God's genuine love and pouring it out in worship. Are we distracted? Are we distracting ourselves? Um, and, uh, or are we pursuing the Lord and, and, and zeal and fervency? And next we see rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. In verse 12, now we have a new outlook on our circumstances. We see here uh, an internal change of disposition with rejoicing and hope and patience and prayerfulness. That's how you maintain genuine Christian love from within, from within your, your heart and your emotions. And then... Uh, lastly, for this section, we see that uh, we, we are to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality in verse 13. And so we have new concerns now. The gospel gives us new concerns. The gospel calls us to be involved in bettering the lives of other Christians. That it should at least cross our minds to help someone in need. And yet that is not enough. It, it must translate to contribution and seeking out opportunities to show hospitality. Look at the verbs again, contribute and seek. Those are they're very active words. And this is a very practical measure to protect genuine Christian love, not only within our inward lives, but also setting the tone within the Christian community. You know, each one of us, we have a responsibility to set the tone within our Christian community. We can't just wait for other people to do it for us. We pray to God for opportunities. And if you're like me, you pray for resources to share. 
Like legitimately, if you don't have the resources, pray for some. Pray for resources that the Lord would give you the ability to share with other people. And you'll be amazed at how God answers that prayer. So now I just want to take a, a bit of a moment here, a bit of a pause, you know, after reading those uh, few verses. And I want to address young people, young adults, and other single people, um, because, you know, uh, we, we come to faith sometimes at a young age, sometimes uh, older in life, and, um, and maybe you're single or maybe you're, you're a young adult, you're exploring, you know, a career and, and university and all that. And, uh, you know, people are tempted to leave the faith. Um, you know, they, maybe they have uh, a desire for something that is not met and, uh, and they eventually are tempted to leave the faith. And, you know, with university students, usually the thing is, uh, that, that people say is because of a university professor who gives, you know, an incredible argument against God or or maybe because a person finally discovers that Christianity is a big hoax. Um, I, I don't think those are, are reasons why people actually leave, leave the faith. Um, I think it's because uh, people uh, have not developed the habit of fanning into flame the gifts of God in their lives. And part of that uh, is that people have... Uh, not sought to walk in the ways that were just described to us in verses 9 to 13. Uh, so young people, young adults, single people, I ask you uh, to, to uh, if you already do it, praise God and keep doing it. And, and if, if not, um, this text does not say that it's directed to your parents uh, or directed to someone else. It's actually it's directed to you as well. And I want to encourage you, uh, take steps of faith. Take steps of faith. Go for it. Go and, 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 and do it. Go and let love be genuine and, and walk in the ways that are described here. Seek to conform your lives to what the Word of God says and see that it is true, that it actually works in this world, that it actually is true and that it actually is good and that it actually is beautiful. You know, many people uh, are on the quest of purpose and meaning and they just even for Christians, they can't find what is their purpose, what is their meaning. And if that's you today, I encourage you to read again verses 9 to 13, and you'll see what your purpose is. Uh, this is for every season of life, that we are to let love be genuine and, and to follow what, what are the verses that, uh, that follow, to do them. I encourage you to do that. And uh, now as we go, go to look at the next section, um, as I was meditating on it, I thought of the numerous people uh, who have told me that they are nice people, uh, loving people, tolerant, you know, all those nice qualities. But uh, once someone passes a certain threshold with them, you better watch out. They will unload and unleash wrath upon their opponents. And, uh, and people sort of pride themselves and kind of say that jokingly, but they actually mean it. And uh, as we'll see in the next few verses, when we receive the gospel, we become shaped by the gospel in such a way that we extend the same grace we received from Jesus to others. See, if we, if we don't see ourselves as those who crucified Jesus and those enemies for whose sins Jesus died on the cross, we will completely miss the point of the next section, which is tied in some ways to the, to the verses 9 to 13. 
but because the following is so counterintuitive and countercultural, it is only by keeping our eyes on Jesus that we can read these verses and seek to lift them out to God's glory. So let's, let's read it, uh, starting at verse 14, where it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, that's what you see in Jesus' teaching as well. And it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, the word harmony there really implies unity among differences. Okay, so it's not about becoming uh, just, just one with everyone. Uh, it's, it's, you know, harmonizing. It's becoming united through our differences. Okay, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Um, so evil for evil, like, you don't want to multiply the evil in this world, but we want to be agents of love and reconciliation. Uh, in other words, if, if, you, you know, if you experience racism, and that's a very difficult thing, it's, a, it's, it's really such an evil in this world. You don't want to pay, repay racism for racism. It'll only escalate. It'll only multiply the racism in this world. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Um, and, uh, and then honor talks about being honorable. Why? Well, because people are made in the image of God. Not because they deserve honor, but because people are made in the image of God and are called by their maker to be reconciled. And so, that, so we are to be honorable to one another. We ought, we ought to be honorable in the sight of all. And then verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give something to drink, for by so doing, you will reap. You will heap burning coals on his head. And uh, with burning coals here, uh, that's a, a fire uh, of refinement. It's an image of a fire of refinement, which causes urgency in the other person. Urgency to repent, to turn away from their wicked ways, or suffer the consequences of their own actions. And uh, then, lastly, in verse twenty-one, says, "Do not." Be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, you might be wondering, uh, how are we supposed to live this out? Uh, you know, we, it says, uh, isn't, isn't, like, isn't there a contradiction between blessing those who persecute us and seeking to put metaphorical coals on their head? Like, how does that work? Uh, well, in, in reading all of this, the, the, there seems to be a thread of thought on, like, underneath these words. And I would suggest that it, it's, um, it's along the lines of what the prayer book says, that God does not desire the death of a sinner, but rather that he turn from his wickedness and live. God does not desire the death of a sinner, but rather that he turn from his wickedness and live. So what does it mean? Uh, well, uh, you know, to seek to bless people unto repentance. That's what it means. We want to bless people unto repentance. People are designed to know and reflect the good God. And so people can detect goodness and still have it in them to desire it. 
The Bible is saying that goodness, our good deeds before others, is an avenue to lead them to God. And so that's why it's so important to maintain goodness in our, in our society, to, to bless other people, to bless our enemies, and to use a different biblical image from John, uh, to be a light so that those who, are who, those who are stuck in darkness may see light and be refreshed and hopefully turn from their dark ways and join the light. I think that's what it's leading to in, verse, in verses uh, 19 and 20 where it talks about you know, doing good and, and hopefully that'll um, keep burning coals on their heads. Now, okay, some of you might have heard the scripture text uh, which um, you know, talks about blessing those who persecute you living in harmony, not being excessively proud, not repaying evil for evil, being honorable, uh, seeking peace. And you think to yourself, like, gosh, like that is my situation with my family member or spouse, except that they are the per perpetrators. And the worst part of it is they're a Christian. Uh, does this, you know, does these verses apply to me? And if so, how on earth am I supposed to obey this text, especially if it's been like this for a while. Wow, well, you know, that's, that's a very good point. That's a very good question. And before I jump into it, I just want to establish something between us. One of the things that the pandemic, the pandemic has done is that it has put an extra strain on friendships, families, uh, workplace relationships, and marriages, marriages in particular. And maybe some of you are facing such a season where darkness seems to loom over you and your particular relationship. And I want to encourage you not to let COVID-19, which in essence is an ambassador of death, it's a virus, to not let COVID-19 or some other pre-existing strife determine what you will do next. The God who is life is able to restore things. So you need to let the word of God inform and inspire your thoughts about the next steps you will take in reconciling or in being an agent of, of goodness of some sort. Now, in, in saying all this, and uh, if you are in an abusive relationship, that's a separate conversation uh, to what I'm going to present. But if you're, if you're in that type of relationship and need shelter, please contact the church pastoral staff or team uh, and, and call the police if that, there's something... And if, you know, if there's some type of violence and if that's what needs to be done, um, don't hesitate. But uh, now back to the question, uh, does this text apply to me and my broken relationship? And if so, how on earth am I supposed to obey this text, especially if it's been like this for a while? Well, I want to offer several thoughts that are roughly inspired by this text, which are helpful to consider when you're in the midst of such trouble and strife. So here's the first thing. Uh, this is inspired by, by the cross. Uh, ask yourself, am I willing to meet the other person at the cross as our starting point? Am I willing to meet the other person at the cross as our starting point? Now, why the cross? Well, that's the place where, there, where no one can boast. That's the place where no one can boast, where the Messiah was crucified, where all sins are forgiven, and where the cleansing blood flows over to wash everyone who comes with good intentions. So am I personally willing to meet the other person at the cross? Secondly, see if they will meet you at the cross to start a conversation. See if they will meet you at the cross to start a conversation. Third, as you begin to uncover your lives, do not let anything, 
whether an event or a feeling, get out of the shadow of the cross. Meaning, don't let yourself see or interpret anything apart from how the cross has paid for forgiveness and cleansing for you and for the other person. Now, fourthly, once the issues have been uncovered in light of the cross, are you personally willing to humbly love the other person unto repentance, regardless of whether the other person will reciprocate? This is something that, that I'm asking you to, to look into your heart, to search your heart, and are you willing to do that? Are you willing to, to love them by showing them goodness in the hope that the beauty of your words and actions will bring healing to their souls? and that they will desire a change of posture, that they will want to run to the cross for forgiveness and change. And then lastly, after blessing them and doing good to them, are you ready to leave the results in the Lord's care, praying for them, being involved when it is wise, and taking a step back when necessary? Now, okay, so th those, are, those are some uh, pieces of advice that are uh, inspired by, by this text here that I was able to, to think through. And uh, again, in saying all this, if you're in an abusive relationship, that's a separate conversation that need, that the next verse, uh, which uh, summarizes the essential morale of the section, briefly addresses. So let's look at verse 21. It says, uh, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, this summarizes the, the section here. And because justice is a good and divine thing, it comes into this whole conversation that uh, justice also needs to take place. And, and next week, um, Renaud will, uh, Lord willing, uh, likely look at the next text in Romans, which is uh, chapter 13, uh, which talks precisely about the state's God-given role and responsibility in promoting justice. So we'll leave that for, for next week. But, um, you know, verse 21 again uh, says, uh, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We see here both a defensive posture against evil and an offensive posture against evil. And the posture for the Christian in both circumstances is goodness. And the Christian can never depart from that for the sake of their own souls and the sake of others. And you might be wondering why, like, why is that? Well, because this is what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. Jesus died for his enemies, precisely for his enemies. And by his death, Jesus defeated death. On the cross, Jesus defeated death. And in defeating death, dark powers no longer have hold on us who profess Jesus as Savior and Lord. And because when Jesus was crucified, death died a first death, Jesus will come again to give death its final blow so that he can finally usher in the, his everlasting kingdom, which is marked by goodness upon goodness upon goodness, with light and justice and beauty, and etc. And for those of us who walk the way of Jesus, now, who now enter into that story, that goodness, goodness overcame darkness at the cross, and that one day goodness will reign for eternity, and that's the hope of Christians, and that's, that's the hope that motivates our, our actions, our deeds, our, our perseverance amidst persecution. And so, friend, uh, I'm asking you, if, if you are not in Jesus, if you're not in Jesus, who is the only one to overcome evil 
at the cross, there's no better time to let him overcome the darkness within you. If you are looking for genuine love, come to the cross where Jesus died for you and for me, his enemies. There's no better time or place to call out to him for mercy and forgiveness than now. Call out to him. I, I, I ask you, call out to him. Just pray. Use your own words. Maybe you use the words in this uh, scripture text, anything that, that stood out to you, and speak to the Lord these words or some other words. Call out to him, and he will rescue you from the darkness that you're living in, and, and he will pour out his great love in your heart so that you will be a new person. Please call out to him today. Now let's pray. Uh, Lord God, uh, you are holy, you are good, you are righteous and just. And uh, Lord, help us to, to never uh, take our eyes off of Jesus and to, to remember that Jesus was crucified for us on the cross. And uh, Lord, that what a great price that you paid to have us with you uh, for all eternity. Lord, help us to be mindful of that price. Help us to be mindful of, of the ugliness of our sins uh, and, and the need to, to enter into your presence uh, by uh, allowing Jesus to, to cleanse us and the Holy Spirit to purify us. Uh, Lord, would you uh, do a mighty work in our lives and enable us by your Spirit, again, to love genuinely and to seek to overcome evil with good. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.